We're going to do something a little bit different this evening. Uh, rather than another talk or a lecture or a seminar, uh, tonight is movie night. And specifically, a uh, very interesting movie, a documentary, and we have one of the co-creators of it, co-author of the book that was the foundation, uh, Lisa Conyers. She co-authored with Phil Harvey, another friend of the Cato Institute. This is a fabulous book, and it's touching and moving. You will learn a lot from this book. The Human Cost of Welfare, How This System Hurts the People It's Supposed to Help. And among the things that I learned in reading the book was how difficult it is for people who are in the welfare system to escape it. It is not easy. And people who manage to do that deserve our respect and admiration because the system is set up to make it very difficult to escape. Uh, after the book came out, they decided to work with people to put out a documentary on it, to tell the story through a different medium. So Lisa, if you'd come on up here. Could I ask Lisa if she would? You're mic'd up, right? Huh? You're mic'd up. I'm yeah. apparently mic'd up. Am okay. I mic'd up? You can hear me? Okay. So I guess my, the, the first question is, what moved you to undertake the whole research project in the first place? Well, Phil Harvey and I have a long history of um, interest in poverty issues um, all over the world, not just in the United States. And we started to get really curious about the welfare system here in America and also why we have still have a poverty problem in America. We've had a war on poverty for 60 years, and somehow we still have 15% 15 of Americans still live in poverty. Um, 43 million Americans are on food stamps. And we just started to really puzzle about that and wanted to look into it deeper. And so we decided to do a book about that issue. And um, uh, But we didn't want it to just be like a wonky policy book. We wanted to really talk about the people who are affected, like Tom said. And so we, um, I mean, there are plenty of charts and graphs if you're into that kind of stuff. But um, we also did, I did travel around the United States for about a year interviewing people on welfare and sort of learning what their lives were like and how they were affected by being involved in the welfare system. And as Tom said, we learned how hard it is to get out of the system and what the trap really is once you get in. So that's what led us to do the book and how we did it. Can I ask you one thing? If you could tell one story that's maybe in the book but not in the video, what would that be? So. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the phrase, the welfare cliff. But what it is is basically there's a point at which to go off all of the welfare benefits would cost you more than you could possibly earn. So there's an incentive to stay on welfare and not take a job, um, or not take a raise, or not take a full-time job. And I was up in um, Washington State, and I was talking to a woman who's a nurse. And she's a single mom. She's got four kids, and um, she got all the benefits, right? So she was living in subsidized housing. She had food stamps for all of her kids. Two kids were young enough to be on WIC. She was on Medicaid. She had heating help. And on and on and on it went. But she was a very good nurse. And she worked at a small migrant community health center. And they wanted to reward her for being such a good nurse and give her a um, promotion to nursing supervisor. And she went home and did the math and realized that she could not afford to take the job because it would bump her out of all of her benefits. And so even though it would have been the great thing for her, for her career, and for the clinic, and for you know, her life and her kid's life, she couldn't do it. She could not afford to take the job. 
And I ran into so many stories like that around the country of, of people who wanted a better life, but they were just constrained by the system that said, no, you can just stay in poverty. Okay, why don't we roll the film, and then we'll have you come back up and discuss okay. it. All right. Thank you. Enjoy. All right. So I'd be interested to hear any questions you have, either about the book or about the film or, or anything about welfare. Yeah. You know what? I think they have mics coming. Yeah. Thanks. I would like to know if it's possible to get copies of the film um, that we might be able to show to organizations we belong to that deal with these types of issues. Yeah. So this film is um, a free-to-choose uh network film, and it just aired on PBS for the first time a couple weeks ago, and it's going to be airing nationwide starting in October. So, um, and you can, I think you can stream it already on the Free to Choose Network site, so you can log on to freetochoosenetwork.org and um, look for it. And so I think you can show it, you know, at organizations already. Yeah. First of all, thank you for the film. It was, it was beautifully done. I appreciate it. I have two questions, maybe only one question. Uh, the the premise was with those gra the graphics that the welfare system is broken, not a headline, uh, and it was structured in a way that as welfare recipients start to earn money, they have a negative income tax. In effect, they have hundred more than 100% income tax because mm -hmm. they lose more in benefits. Therefore, as more than one welfare recipient said, they can't afford to work. and. Right. I, I get the economics, but almost as a, a moral question, but maybe not, maybe it's more psychological. Uh, the concept that the welfare recipient can't afford to give up welfare to take a lower paying job assumes that the only benefit of the lower paying job was the income. But you emphasized in the film there is self-respect, self-esteem, opportunity for growth. All of those are non-economic benefits. So I, I, I question the premise. Uh, many interns graduate from college uh, well-equipped to work, and they take very low-level jobs below that which they could otherwise get in another sector because they want other benefits like experience and the like. Mm -hmm. So without welfare, if there was no welfare to begin with, then the recipient, who's not getting welfare now, has no income, could certainly afford to take the job. So I'm just not persuaded morally that it's such a hard choice to make a decision that benefits you long range, even though the short range is a detriment. OK. <laughs> I was trying to follow you. I think what you're saying is that people on welfare should take the job, even though it you know, even though they're going to lose income and that they should just take that step and that because they should understand that ultimately that a job is a better way to go. But what I found with the welfare beneficiaries that I interviewed was that a lot of them are single moms. Long, a lot of them are um, challenged in a whole lot of ways just trying to get through the day. And, and we, we would have really in-depth philosophical conversations about how work is a better choice and how you know you'll be happier in the long term but when they're on a you know, daily basis trying to feed their families and trying to trying to get through the day it's really hard to 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 address that philosophical reality or truth so that i mean that's my answer is that I, in a way you're right but the, on a daily basis that's not how it works out yeah 
first off, thank you. That was very moving. Yeah. Uh, so glad you enjoyed it. For the policy question, uh, it seems, at least from from this, that there is some low hanging fruits reforms that can be made, small incremental reforms mm -hmm. that could make significant differences. So I'm curious, from what you've learned, uh, what do you think those reforms could be? Small reforms that maybe even could could be bipartisan. How uh, bipartisan? Right, oh, as a you know, <laughs> but what, what do you think yeah. those reforms could be? Small incremental, not overarching grand reforms that are going to conflict with you know ideologies across the aisle. Right. But what are the smallest things that we could do to introduce to a Republican Congress, get Democratic votes um, on the federal level? And then, do you think much could be done on the state level, mm -hmm. uh, or do you think most of it's federal? Well, I think that I mean you said small incremental things, but. The 1996 welfare reforms, the biggest thing about them was that they required work. You know, it was, it was welfare to work. And that went across all the programs. So every program was sort of told, okay, look, the idea is you can get benefits, but you really need to be working on getting people back to work. So even though it was universal across the board, it was a small, th I mean, in a way it was that small thing. They just said, sure, we're gonna continue to provide welfare, but we're gonna ask you to get some job training. We're gonna ask you to you know, get off the of welfare and into a job. And I think that that's something that still resonates today across the political spectrum. I mean, I've talked to people all around the country about this, and everybody agrees that work is better than welfare. You know, I mean, ideally, we don't want to keep people in poverty. We want to get them out of poverty and into work. So I think that argument could still be made again. Um, and as far as, so that would be the biggest one. I mean, that's our argument is that people are happier working. And I think that that could resonate if we could do anything bipartisanly. <laughs> but on the state level, I know that there are, um, there are arguments and movements to turn a lot of this over as block grants to the states. Like right now, TANF is, a, is block grant to the states, and there's talk about doing that with all the programs. Just turn it over and let every state handle it their own way, in which case you have to wonder why it has to go through the federal government in the first place. But so that would be you know something to think about. I'd love to see anything happen, any movement on welfare reform. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. So um, you had Charles Murray on, and I think he's been an advocate for universal basic income. Uh, Milton Friedman talked about the negative income tax. Um, do you think those are ways to adjust welfare system in the United States to transition people off of poverty, or do you think they would continue the same problems you observed uh, with your interviews? Yeah, well, you know, Phil and I are sort of philosophically opposed to Charles Murray on that one because we really do believe that work is essential. I mean, that was the premise of our book is that work is essential to human happiness. And if you s suddenly argue that, you know, we'll give everybody a basic income and then they don't have to work, then that goes against all of that. So it's been really interesting to watch Charles Murray's take on that because he's had that opinion for a long time. Um, but he also believes what we believe, that work is, you know, really essential. So I don't, I can't reconcile myself to say that I would be okay with a basic income. But, um, yeah, that's sort of my opinion on that. One more. Okay, one more. There's somebody over here. Yeah, this. Right behind you. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, um, kind of to elaborate on the uh, previous question. I was just kind of curious, what would happen if all of the benefit programs that we saw were just replaced with a cash transfer? So you're talking about the same sort of ideas as Charles Murray? Kind of, income? but I just saw like so many different 
like programs kind of dedicated to different parts of right. the welfare system. And if it was just pure cash they got, we can discuss like how it would be structured, but just in general, just cash instead of people deciding what benefits you got. Would that be more efficient or is there something to be gained by us allocating which things you get? Well, I think that, I mean, I think that the whole welfare system is terribly paternalistic. So the idea of you know getting rid of all these rules and just handing people cash and letting trusting them to be smart enough to handle it on their own isn't a bad idea. Um, but and if you could actually do that with what we're already spending, you know that I I can understand the, the argument for that. But my concern is getting back the the other part of the basic income thing is that. Um, I don't think it could ever happen without the welfare system going away. So Charles Murray argues, you know, all we'd get rid of all the welfare programs and then we would just, you know, give everybody $10,000 a year or $12,000 a year. And I just don't ever see that happening. Government programs of that size and scope aren't going to suddenly go away. We're just going to layer it on top of what we've already got. And it's just unsustainable and too expensive. Oh, do we have no more? Okay. All right. Well, I'll be here all day tomorrow if anybody wants to talk further and be happy to share stories.